We use other words to describe it. Instead, we deny that we have it. We call it other things, but um, sociologists say they call it an epidemic. They call it an epidemic in our society. Anger. It, it has reached what they call epidemic proportions, that everybody is angry to degrees that perhaps societies have not been used to or, have, or ours hasn't seen before. And it shows up in violent displays like we saw this week in a number of occasion, places. And just a couple days ago in Newton, Kansas, we have a kind of a cousin church that's in Newton, Kansas, this little town, and that's where somebody goes in, on a rampage and kills people. We see it, you know, road rage is now, you know, I mean, that's just it's part of our vernacular. It, we don't even need to talk about the statistics of it because it's just become part of the fabric of our life. But now they, call, they talk about what they call cubicle rage, which you take it into the building with you. And the studies say that 45% of adult workers of both genders regularly lose their temper while at the workplace, if we had a show of hands you, and asked how many of you saw that this week or this month in your workplace, we would probably see how that's true. This is 2016, the presidential election has now been called the anger election. Six out of ten caucus goers in Nevada last week said the primary thing they're feeling about the election is anger. Even nature, we, there was a program on for a few years called Angry Planet. It's just always something wrong, something violent going on. And it's said to be just below the surface. It's just the smallest little thing can can trigger it. It's it's indiscriminate. The knockout game peaked a couple of years ago. And you saw it where people would walk up to people on the street and see if they could knock them out with one punch for kind of no apparent reason, except that something's going on. Something's happening. People died from that. And I stop, we're doing a series on emotions, and what God, because here's something we believe around here. We believe that God, all of life comes from God, he's got the best idea for it, he sets us free, he loves us, and he's got a better way to do life. I want to pay attention to what God says. And so we say, well, okay, so how does that affect the fact that we're all emotional beings? And we ask that question, and then we get to anger, and I have to pause, and this week, as often happens, when I start digging this stuff out, all of a sudden God just starts beating up on me. And I realize that, that I don't have to, it's not a stretch for me to say, I'm angry. I mean, a lot. And I could say, well, you know, I excuse it and I can't kind of keep a lid on it and I don't say the things. And I certainly don't shoot people to this point. But you know what? The phone rings. And an immediate thought in my mind, what, what? That's the first thing, look, who wants, who wants something? I'm walking in a, down an aisle of a store and a friendly face look up and says hello. And I go, oh, you're just trying to sell me something. I'm angry at them. And if I ever have to call customer service, forget about it. I go in with an edge when I go to return stuff. My wife says, do you know how you're coming across? I go, I'm not coming across bad. So let's, let's just step back for a minute and say, okay, what is this thing? What is this emotion? And why am I so angry? If it's true of our culture and it's true in the room, you're going to hear me say this later, 
that some of the people with the deepest anger issues in the ones who are the ones who least acknowledge that they have it? If that's true to any degree, what does God say about what its purpose is? What, and what am I supposed to do with it when I feel it? I'm going to show you a lot of scripture today, but I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to, or access to one, Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament. Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to get one. Um, you can access them online. We still, we've got printed copies at our Welcome Center. You can always grab one, and it's free for you to take with you. And we want to step back and take a perspective on what God has to say about emotions. So I'm just going to read you a few verses from Ephesians chapter 4, and then come back and circle around and think about it together, all right? I'm going to start with verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you should put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who steals it, uh, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. He must work doing something uh, useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Don't be, let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that might benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So let's, um, let's talk about it. The, the definition that's generally given for anger is something like this. It is a strong, strong feelings of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Intense emotional state induced by displeasure. It's generally accompanied by elevations. Anger is generally triggers elevations, elevations in verbal volume. Anger is generally associated with elevations in temperature, body temperature. It's why we say things got hot. That actually physically happens. Elevated heart rates due to hormonal release. Elevated levels of hormones being released. Elevated gestures. And sometimes elevated silence. Now, it's often, when we hear it say anger, it often gets equated with other things that are related to it. And we think about violence. The word rage gets used. We just read that word. We'll come back to that. Aggression and sometimes vengeance. And therefore, because of that, for a whole lot of us, we just innately, we, we associate anger as a negative emotion. It's a negative thing to feel. It's something you shouldn't have. If there's something wrong with you, if you feel anger. Most, a whole lot of us would probably say that's our default thinking about anger. Part of the reason for that is because we have never seen it serve a useful, productive purpose, right? It's almost always associated with something that's destructive. But let's review for a minute because this is what we started last week when we talked about emotions. An emotion, you are an emotional being. God crafted you and created you to make you an emotional being. It's part of being an image bearer of God. We'll come, those key words we used last week, intellect, emotion, and will go together in personhood. It's generally understood to be the case. That emotion is a central part. And so emotion, generally, that just the pure emotion that we feel is amoral. It is not innately wrong or right. What we think and do with it can turn it sour, poison it. But the emotion itself is actually a God-given component of being alive, of being a person. You are an, an emotional being. 
And because of that, it, then emotions serve a purpose. They serve, we, we talked about the analogy, they serve like the dashboard lights coming on on your life. The dashboard light flicks on. The dashboard light is not the problem. The dashboard light is indicating something going on underneath the hood that you might want to pay attention to. You might want to look into why the light is going on. That's the purpose of it, which is why if you look at the famous verse that probably a lot of us in the room have heard in Ephesians 4.26, it says, in your anger, do not sin. It separates anger from sin. It's possible to feel angry and not to sin. In fact, the original Greek for that word is not, it's not really in your anger. It's a verb. It means be angry. Be angry. And while you're being angry, don't sin. It's quoting, by the way, Psalm 4.4. So the Old Testament songbook saying about this. Be angry. How would that be a good song for us to sing this morning? Hey, let's all be angry and let's not sin. Okay, that's... Now, now I, but it's confusing for us. And here it gets more confusing or at least more attention getting because God himself is called angry a lot. God describes himself as angry. In fact, 445 times in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the word get anger gets used. 375 of those are talking about God being angry. 82% of the references to anger. Now, for a whole lot of us, we find that kind of disquieting, don't we? We talk about the God of vengeance, the God of anger, and that, well, now Jesus, and now he's not, no, God's not angry anymore. It doesn't say that. The reason is because, again, we have seen terrible and destructive effects attached with anger, and most of us have never seen it apart from that. We've never seen a, a healthy anger come out of people. But God is going to, if we ask God, okay, and this is what I'm doing, we're saying, okay, God, speak into this in our lives. Give us your perspective on this. You know what he's going to say? All right, when it comes to anger, here's what you need to understand. The anger can be terrible, and it can be painful, and it can be destructive. But anger is designed to be positive and constructive in a life. Okay, how? That's what we're going to try to dig out. Let's understand this a little bit I'm just going to go this more quickly than we, we should, but you look at Scripture on this, you look at studies on this, and they all kind of parallel each other. When anger comes, there are usually one of two predominant causes that, that trigger anger, the emotion of anger in someone. One is, has been called by theologians and by, also by sociologists perceived injustice. When we see something, it's a violation of what we consider to be right, rightness or righteousness. When, some, when injustice is done and it flares an emotion within us where we get bothered by that, we get hot about it. You see an animal being cruelly treated and you feel something. You say, that should not happen. That is wrong. That is a violation of what is right. Something needs, should happen about that. There's, so this perceived injustice. The second trigger is that we have what has been called a blocked goal. There is something that we believe we want or need or are intended to do, and something or someone comes into the path and blocks that from happening. When it does, it evokes a response from us internally, an emotion that feels what has been called anger, which is why, by the way, you can get, feel anger at inanimate objects. Things that have no necessarily will involved in them, they're not a person, but you get angry. You're yelling at your phone. 
or the computer or the car is because it doesn't have to be conscious. We just say, I have a goal. There is something that I, that I intend or need or want to do. And that has blocked my goal. When that goal gets blocked, we, say, we feel anger toward that blockage. Now, the purpose of anger then, as, God described, as assigned by God, is, has been said to, to motivate us to constructive action. Our youth pastor, Larry Ely, has been teaching on emotions with the youth group. He talked about anger, and he gave me a great resource. Gary Chapman, who I know from writing the book, Five Languages of Love, wrote another book, Lesser Known, on anger. Very, very good book. And this is how one of the, I'm going to quote him a couple times today. He says, human anger is designed by God to motivate us to take constructive action in the face of wrongdoing or when facing injustice. So, you look at, the reason I started in verse 25 of Ephesians 4 is because these are all tied in together. That there is relational connection that God says to his people, says, okay, look, this is how God is designing you to live with each other. This is, this is how you pursue the love of God with each other in community. And in verse 25, he says, each of you must put, a, uh, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor because we're all members of one body. And the very next phrase then is, when you feel this anger thing, don't sin. I believe that those are tied together, that truth speaking is attached to what we do properly when we feel like some injustice is done. We are supposed to speak truth about it. We're, we, we are designed to do something about it. And the, and the emotion of anger is a trigger point, the dashboard light saying, time to do something. There is an injustice. There's something that, that should move you to action. Which ties us then into verse 26, and then also in verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only what's helpful for building others up. And in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. Be kind and compassionate to one another, and forgive one another. So God calls, says when you feel anger, sometimes the prompt there is designed by God to mobilize you, to say there's something that can be done by that was That was taught by Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, when you feel, he says, don't have this rage against your brother, but instead, in the same context, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you feel like there's something wrong between you and your brother, you take action. You go toward your brother. Even if you're in the middle of worship and and it's happening, he says, you stop what you're doing, and you go and you address it. You enact something. You let the anger move you toward some kind of action. He, He taught it, but he also modeled it. And you're very aware of Jesus' overturning tables in the temple, right? In John chapter 2, let me just read this to you. When it was almost time for Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all uh, from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money uh, changers and overturned the tables To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. There's going to be, there's an implied anger there. There's something that that he's going to correct. Jesus did this when when he was going to be tested about healing people on the Sabbath. And they're all watching to see what he does. And and he he lived out these truths that in Psalm 7, 11, it says God's a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. He lived out the truth of Deuteronomy 7 where God said that this is true. That remember this and never forget how the Lord your God, 
you provoked him to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you've been rebellious against the Lord. Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so he was angry enough to destroy you. You get to Jesus, and people go, oh yeah, but Jesus is, you know, all the anger of God is subsided. No, the wrath of God has been dealt with. But the emotion was still present. Jesus showed you can be righteous in feeling and acting with this emotion. And so, when they ask about healing, he says this. He says, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was completely restored. Now, here's what I have to get past. I have to get past that anger in my mind means I'm going to punish. Anger means I'm going to make somebody, I'm going to hurt but God says, no, you don't deny the anger because it's there to prompt you towards something. Now, the common effects that we have when we feel anger are usually not that. And two, one of two things tends to happen when anger emerges in our culture and in our lives. Sometimes there's explosion and sometimes there's implosion. There's explosion which, where it builds and finally it bursts and ignites and then you get what the Bible calls fits of rage. That's, again, look at the phrasing in Ephesians 4. Look at verse uh, 31. Get rid of all bitterness. We'll come back to that later. Rage and anger, brawling and slander. There is an amplified, destructive explosion that happens, and it shows up in violence. Now, violence can be physical or it can be verbal. The proverb says, do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, Proverbs 3.31. And then, of course, in a very famous passage in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says, so don't repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God calls on us to, to, to do something other than the explosion, which is vengeance. The avenging actions of somebody. Do you know that 66% of all traffic fatalities in some way are related to some kind of aggressive driving that's attached to anger? Not, not necessarily road rage, but just aggressive driving that comes and that's attached to it. And 30, 37% of, of incidents on, on the road, the road rage stuff, actually involve a firearm. Do you know that 2% of people who when they're asked about their anger driving, they admit to trying to run an aggressor off the road. If that statistic is true, then we probably have about a dozen people in the room who have tried to do that at some point. The explosions are affecting us from our earliest days, and it is really saturated in our students. These guys can probably tell you how much anger gets expressed, how many threats happen in a typical school where people go. Harvard Medical School did a study on it. It said two-thirds of U.S. adolescents have experienced an anger attack in their lives that involved threatening violence or violent behavior. And nearly one in 12 of, of adolescents now have, they have a name for this. It's called Intermittent Explosive Disorder, IED. It's a syndrome characterized by persistent, uncontrollable anger attacks not accounted for by other medical disorders. So there's explosions that happen. The other thing that can happen is implosions. Where the anger doesn't get processed, the anger gets stuffed, and the anger it just gets internalized. And then that leads to what the Bible calls bitterness and resentment. 
It's an internal mindset that eats away at us when we think of the situation or the people involved in it. Grudges, the Bible talks about. Holding this anger in in a way that we say, well, at least I'm not violent, but, we, but it affects our attitude and our perspective and it, and, and it colors us. And that's when, then you look at Ephesians 4.31 when it says, again, in this list, get rid of all. The first thing is bitterness. This implosion of anger. It, it, it comes right out of the law of God from the very first days with his, his nation in Leviticus 19 in the Old Testament law. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge. See, there's two different things. One is an external explosion. The other one's an internal implosion against uh, one of your people. But love your neighbor as yourself because I am Yahweh, the one who's giving you that. In, in a, another book that has a, a, a groundbreaking book called When Anger Hurts, the authors who are medical doctors and have studied this talked about the effects that happen. And listen to just a little bit, because okay, this is going to address some of us in the room who say, you know what, this topic isn't about me. You know, I know angry people. I know people who do weird stuff, say weird stuff. They just lash out. I'm, I don't feel anger. I don't deal with anger. There's a toxic effect to that perspective, to denying that it's there, to never doing anything about it. Listen to what it says, some, what some of the effects. I'm just going to glance uh, many studies show that the stress of anger produces a unique and specific hormonal response that's particularly dangerous. There's elevated levels of testosterone, epi- epinephrine, cortisol, um, and then it, ha- and it has an effect. The more that it lingers inside a person, the more they carry around the anger, this is what happens. The liver becomes less efficient in clearing the blood of cholesterol, contributing to fatty deposits in the arteries. Elevated blood pressure damages the arteries of the heart. Tiny tears develop on an artery wall. Occasional anger, this is what the authors say, occasional anger creates no lasting harm, but chronic, sustained anger, okay, suppressed, carried around, keeps the body in a constant state of emergency. And the regular body functions, such as digestion, clearing the blood of cholesterol, resisting uh, infection, may be delayed, depressed, or bypassed. Chronic anger thus contributes to the development of a variety of diseases, digestive disorders, hypertension, heart disease, susceptibility to infections, rashes, headaches, and many more. It has a a toxic effect. Let me just ask you, how has anger affected you negatively? How has it affected you internally, carrying it around in the past? How has it affected your interactions? Okay, so what are we supposed to do about it? Well, how do we deal with it when we feel it? Well, one answer is a car seat. Makers, uh, automotive parts manufacturer, Foresia, is developing what they call an active wellness seat. It monitors the emotions of the driver. And apparently, it can tell you when you feel stress, anger, fatigue. It builds these built-in sensors, and then it offers you an alternative. And there's a little note that says, and it says, anger detected. And if it's detected, then you can push a button, and what we'll do, the seat will then give you a soothing massage (laughs) and a warming sensation that will calm you down and apparently relieve you of your anger. Okay, that's one way to go. I think I'd be a little more interested in saying, okay, God, what do you want to do with this? What am I supposed to do with these feelings when they come or the ones I've been carrying around? 
And, his, and we're going to talk about processing our anger. Now, this is going to come back to what we introduced last week, which has to do with this thought about personhood, that you are created as a person with an intellect, with emotions, and with a will. The Bible talks about each of those. They obviously interrelate with each other, but they are separated, and God intends for us to understand the differences between the two and for the, them each to serve their purposes. So the first thing that God seems to steer us toward is, is to separate those, the, our emotion that we're feeling from our intellect or our will, which means we're going to create what we might call the pause. Most of us, we feel anger and we enact an, a response. Immediately, we're so attached to our thoughts, we draw a conclusion or a judgment immediately. We don't, suffer, we, we don't even know that it's possible not to. And then we take action because all the adrenaline is rushing and we feel like we need to act entirely. But God seems to indicate that it's, it could be a healthy thing to, to intercept that and create what we could call the pause. Understanding that there's a feeling and say the dashboard light is on. Before I draw a conclusion, before I take action, I'm feeling it. What is it there for? What is it indicating is going on? Because if we act, then we do things like Ephesians 4 says, where if we act verbally, then, usually, then the word in verse 31 is slander happens, doesn't it? If we act physically, the word that he uses here is brawling happens. George uh, G. Nathan, who is, uh, was, used to be a ma- magazine editor, says, no one can think clearly when his fists are clenched. The pause allows us, before we clench our fists, to say what's going on. Um, Ambrose Beers, who wrote the Devil's Dictionary, said, speak when you're angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. <laughs> so the pause, when we enact it, it creates what the Bible calls self-control. Now, I want to suggest to you, and we could talk a lot more about this, self-control is not just you mustering up the will to say, I'm going to keep this in track. You know where self-control comes from? Galatians 5. It is a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We have to remember that. This is going to be connected with our hearts being relating to and being at right with and inviting the presence and the activity of God's Spirit within us. When God's Spirit comes in, the fruits of the Spirit is a long list, and the last one that's mentioned, self-control. There's no law against that, God says. That self-control is what happens when I want to make my speech, when I want to react. And that stands in contrast to what our natural impulse is. If God's not involved in this, our natural impulse is what the Bible calls venting. We've, or giving full vent to what we do. And this is what Proverbs 29, 11 says. A fool gives full vent to his anger. means no separation. You feel the emotion, and there's no pause between what you say and what you do immediately. It's dictated to by that. A full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. It doesn't mean he doesn't feel anger. It means he separates those. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Don't be quickly provoked in your spirit. For anger, I love this little picture, anger resides in the lap of a fool. It's right there. It's, you're hanging on to it. And if, and if you feel it, you stand up, the anger jumps. It's residing in the, in the, in the lap of a fool. Create this pause. Gary Chapman, in, in, in his book that I referenced earlier, says, first three steps, when you feel anger 
and especially if you've got a confrontation going on. Step one, listen. Step two, listen. Step three, listen. Because James is, the book of James is going to tell us to do that. That's the contrast that is where we give, we, we're told we should vent our anger. And one of the places you can, you can now vent your anger, this is actually happening this weekend, February 27th and 28th in Los Angeles, California. You can go to what they call an anger room. It was started in 2008 in Dallas, Texas. It went into Europe, Poland, and then into Germany. It went into uh, Japan. It's now on tour in the United States. It's sold out today. Today, you can go to a place in Los Angeles, and for $40, you get 10 minutes in an anger room. They fill it with stuff. It's filled, a room is filled with mannequins, TVs, uh, electronics, dishes, vases, mirrors, furniture, all things that get donated. And you get your choice of weapon between a baseball bat and a golf club and a couple other things you have to put on protective stuff. And you get to go in for $40 and break it all for te- 10 minutes. And some of you are sitting there going, that sounds like a good idea. So giving vent to anger says that I, I, I find a way to, to open a release valve. I've got to do something to get rid of this. I need to express it. And so you hear a lot of pop culture tell us, well, what you need to do is you need to go find some place where you can scream. Scream therapy is another place. Or you can find a pillow and punch a pillow. You should do that kind of stuff. Do you know that the, what the studies say in the same study in When Anger Hurts? So they say the biggest myth is that it helps your anger control to vent. So some people, they say, well, I'm not yelling at anybody. I'm just yelling at myself. I'm just, I'm, I'm just venting. I'm, just, I'm, not, just, I'm not doing anything to anybody else. But listen, listen to what these guys say about that. that what, uh, in, in this book, when, uh, they mention even, the, even, even outside the psychological community, the general belief is that expressing feelings or blowing off steam is beneficial. After, but after summarizing the major research on anger, Carol Tavares notes that people who are the most prone to vent their rages, they grow angrier, not less angry. Says yelling or even talk or, or, or expressing the emotion doesn't reduce it. What actually happens is, listen to this, you are rehearsing for more of the same. It's embedding itself within you. Experimental studies consistently point out that the popular remedy for anger, ventilation, is really worse than useless. In fact, the reverse seems to be true. Venting anger tends to make you even angrier and solidifies an angry attitude. Well, there goes that idea. So what are we supposed to do, right? Okay, I've I've had enough of what I'm not supposed to do. We create a pause. We separate the feeling from the thoughts and conclusions and from the will and the actions. And what that does is it makes anger our servant rather than our master. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better is a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. And then James 1 referenced it earlier. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Man, fleshly anger. What we do with our impulses with anger, don't bring that about. So, first we create the pause. And then we ask the question. 
The pause first and then the question. So we exercise the intellect, which is where we ascribe value to what's happening and purpose. And we analyze it and we ask some questions before concluding. And we ask questions like this. So what goal is being blocked right now? Now, can you just stop and think about something that made you angry this week? Just stop and think about it. It might have been a small thing. At that moment, when you got angry, if you stop and ask yourself, what was a goal that I had that was getting blocked? And why was that goal so important to me at that moment? Is that goal a legitimate goal or is it a selfish goal? Is it a goal that reflects that I trust the will of God in my life or is it that I have my own agenda that has to happen? We're, we're engaging the intellect to kind of explore what's triggering this thing. The, ne- the other question, what perceived injustice has just been triggered? And why is punishment so important to me right now? Because, as we read, God says, remember the job descriptions. Vengeance, punishment, is the job description of the Almighty. Punishment is not your, in your job description. Enacting justice where you can is good. But punishment is, belongs to Him. Why, why do I feel the need to enact punishment on that situation or that person? Gary Chapman said the key question, the absolute key question that he encourages people to ask is this. And I'll tell you, it's, it's so important that I can't find it. Okay. He says, I suggest you say these words out loud. I am angry about this now. What am I going to do about it? And he says, when you do that, you have distinguished for yourself the difference between your anger and the action you're going to take. Intellect and will from, from emotion. You have set the stage for applying reason to your anger rather than simply being controlled by your emotions. So the, 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 the thinking begins to shift. And if, as I think about it, its importance reduces, then I can go into what the Bible calls forbearance, which is to kind of let, the stu- let it subside and let it go. Proverbs talks about what it says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Can I tell you when I... Uh, there have been a few moments where I've actually tried to put this into practice. And my wife would do something that would annoy me. This has happened three times since we've been married. She's annoyed me. Not very often. And my immediate reaction is, oh, I've got a speech, man. I have got, I'm going to lay, I'm going to tell, she, she's going to feel really bad because I, I caught, she's, she's dead to rights. And in a, the handful of times where I've, I've actually caught myself and said, Okay, you know what? Create a pause. Think about my goals. And I'm going to come back at another time to mention this. Do you know that by the time I get back to the mention another time, it has lost so much of its power? It's, it's dissolved. It, it, the, because my goal has changed a little bit. And I think that that's what that proverb's talking about. If I ask those questions and I realize that my demands and goals are self-directed, then I need to release those goals. That's what James is talking about when he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. And so you quarrel and fight. Shift the thinking from what my goals are to say, if God says, not, I'm, I'm to release my goals, not my will but yours be done. If, if, I, if my, the answer to the question of what, why is this evoking so much? Is because I feel like punishment needs to be invoked. Then I go to the one whose job description it is, and I release the demand for the punishment to be done. 
And if it's justice or correction, then I'm motivated to act and to move in a certain way. And I think it's really interesting that the action is separated from the emotion. Even when the prophets talk to God about it, this is what Jeremiah said. He says, correct me, Lord. Okay, this is correction. Let's make something, make it right. Correct me, Lord, but only with your justice, not in your anger, lest you reduce me to nothing. If you act in anger, even thinking about if God were to do that, it would reduce us to nothing. God doesn't do that. But, but we are allowed to image bear God, and so we don't have to either. And then once we do that, we, then we exercise the will. We go to corrective action. And that's what's happening in Ephesians 4. Look at Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, don't sin. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That doesn't mean just let it subside. It means take action about it. Do something with it. Because if you don't, you give the devil a foothold. And then he talks about things that, that, that need corrected, things like those who steal should need to stop. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But build each other up according to the needs. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all these, these actions. But be, Verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive one another. Move toward the person in a way that goes. Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you feel the anger, get up and go. Do something about it. If we don't do that, it creates a root of bitterness and it violates the law of love. Micah 6.8 says, he's shown us what he's required of us and one of those things is to enact justice. Be, be instruments of God to go toward the, the one who's doing the injustice and to, and to work on, on solving it without vengeance and without punishment. Let me just ask you this because th- this is really worth teasing out in our groups about where you feel anger, how you tend to deal with it, what control it has, what it looks like to create a pause, what it looks like to ask the questions. Let me just ask you, what are you angry about? I mean, some of us in the room are really angry with God because he's been blocking our goals. Or he's done things that we feel like are unfair. Or he didn't come through for us in the way we decided he should have come through. Can you be honest about that? Can I tell you, God can handle that? God would welcome you to express your anger to him. What are you angry about? Or who are you angry with? What does that dashboard light tell you about what your values are, what your demands in your life are? And why are you angry? Not just, not just well, because they did something, but what is it about it in you that, it, that it's affected by it? Can I urge you, if you have problems with your anger, whether it comes out in outbursts, disrespect toward the people in your life, in your world, in your home, in your workplace, if you have resentments, if, you, if you're seething about something, where this starts is to first just acknowledge it. Step back from it. Bring it into the light. And then, if you haven't worked the process yet, practice the pause about it. Ask the question about it, why it's there. Release the punishment aspect of it. And then enact the correction that might, it might be prompting you toward. And when we do, we will begin to see that anger actually can be a pretty useful tool. It can actually help purify our world. It can purify our lives. It can move people toward righteousness. And anger can reveal things about ourselves that 
that we need to really release to God. We need to say, I trust you with this. I'm going to die to my agenda. And watch what happens to our level of anger. What, what, What becomes of it when it serves as our servant instead of our master? What makes you angry? Let's talk about it with God now and talk about it in groups this week. Pray with me. God, for people in the room right now, we just know it's true. I know it's true of me. We feel like a low-grade anger all the time. We're not even sure why it's there or it's, a com- it's just compilation. Would you just give us pause to recognize it, admit it, even talk with others about it? Would you, would you enter into our anger with us so that we can see it for what it is and look and learn from it? God, for, for, for those of us in the room who, who really, really have not been able to control it at all, and it's come out in really destructive ways, would you forgive us? Would you expose that and help us to admit that that's true? Make that right. Would you give us another way so that we aren't just controlled by our anger, but it, we can master it for your purposes? There are some of us here, God, who we have felt some anger, and it's You've wanted it to prompt us toward action, to go to somebody, to try to find correction. And we haven't done it yet. Would you, would you lead us so that we don't just feel it, we do act on it for the proper purposes? And would you help us to release the demand for punishment, for justice to be enacted eternally? I trust you with our agendas Release them to you so that we can see that our anger serves proper purposes in our lives and even shows us where we need to release those things. Be the Lord over our emotions, Father. Help us see that our emotions are gifts, even the hard ones, and follow you with them so that we can reflect your glory and your character and how we respond to them. Thank you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Next week, we're going to talk about depression. This is a very, very big, important topic. I'd invite you to pray for me and for us. It's, it's important. It's significant. Uh, all of these are, but de- de- next week is depression. I um, encourage you to bring somebody with you who might be wrestling or, or who knows somebody who did. Now, we're not done today, okay, because we have a big celebration. Now, here's what we're going to do. Um, we got some young people who are going to who are going to make a statement to you. Can I say that if you're part of this church body, you got to know where you need to be. Let them make their statement to you. This is important, all right? But it's also a celebration. You're going to hear more about it. Here's what we're going to do. In about, as soon as I get done saying what we're, what's going to happen, we're going we're to let the parents in the room. We'd like you to go quickly. The kids' life people are ready to do this quickly. We want you to go and bring your kids in. We want them to see this too. If you don't have children with you, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to just find, turn around on, in your chair in a minute, and, and just talk to somebody who you haven't talked with yet today. And, may, you know, it's what the Groundhog said early spring, right? 60-something today. Okay, so maybe you could talk about somewhere you're going to be traveling this spring or this summer. Just let's get to know each other a little bit. Well, it'll take about seven or eight minutes for the kids to get in here. It's a musical play. And then we're going to celebrate amazing, the amazing grace of God in baptism. All right? So if you would, turn to talk with somebody near you. If you're a parent, go quickly to get your kids. Thanks. <laughs>